Well, two weeks ago when we were thinking about adoration, uh, we're going through the Lord's Prayer just now, and the, the first week of this series was on adoration. We spoke about the fact that sometimes in our lives, uh, when we're confronted with circumstances or situations, we get uh, our eyes so focused on the situation that it's like a microscope. Uh, we we drill, drill down in the detail of where we are, and we forget to take a look through the telescope, which looks upwards towards the greatness and vastness of God. And sometimes we can get consumed by the microscope view rather than encouraged by the telescope view that we have in God. There was a really helpful illustration that, that Pete Gregg uses in the prayer course that we're going through. And I just mention again his book, How to Pray. There's a number of books that Pete has, but this is the one that accompanies the prayer course. But I want to develop or use those images again this morning to help us think about intercession. How do we pray for others? And, and in some ways, that's, that's the difference between petition and intercession. Uh, often petition is focused on the prayers we pray for ourselves, whereas intercession begins to move in a direction of how do we pray for other things, other people, other situations as well. Now, there's a lot of interlinking between these two, petition and intercession. But intercession begins to focus on how do we pray on behalf of others. That's the scope of intercession. And so what I want us to do is to use that telescope, microscope imagery to think of how we begin to intercede. What would that look like? Because there's times where we need the big picture and times where we need the little picture so that we can pray and intercede well for whatever it is. So petition praying for ourselves, intercession praying for others. So let's start with the, the big picture, the telescope. Think about the scope about intercession, about praying for others. And if you've never heard this work, word intercede or intercession, let me give you a, a little bit of background to it, where it comes from and why we use it. So the word intercede comes from, or intercession comes from, a Latin word, intercedere. And inter means between, so between two things. And sedere or sedere means to go. So it means to go in between two things. Now that's really important for our understanding of intercession because intercession really is standing in the gap between two things. It's going to the in-between place on behalf of another or a situation between them and God. The power of interceding, stepping into that gap in prayer where somehow we become involved in between God and the land, God and the people, God and the places and the situations of every sort. So when we pray for the situations in Ukraine or in Gaza or in people's lives for days, what we're doing is we're stepping in and we're, we're kind of taking the hand of those people and the hand of God and we're praying there and we're, 
we're interceding in that in-between place, calling on God to intervene in this place. And so in many ways, it's not just that we're, we're standing at a distance, hoping that somehow maybe God might hear our call, but actually we, we are doing something we, with not just the people we hold the hand of here, but the God whose hand we hold here. It is much more than a distant offering up a prayer. We're doing something with God and with the people as we pray, as we intercede, that in-between place. Reaching for the hand of God while holding the hand of the land, the people, places, situations. So that, that's its Latin, where we get the word intercede or intercession from. That, that's why we use it from Latin. But let's go to the New Testament, which was written in Greek. So in 1 Timothy 2, 1, we read this. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. So if you look at the word in there, which is in Greek for intercession, it's a technical term used for how you would approach the king or royalty to bring about an intervention in whatever situation you were approaching him for. That, that Greek word entuchsis is, is a, a petition, a supplication, the approaching of the king, asking him to intervene in a particular situation and circumstance. And so we go to the next slide. It's, it's kind of our approach uh, to the throne where we approach the king. Now, we, we've spoken about this previously. Where, where is your chair or where is your place to meet with the king where we approach the throne the king of kings and the lord of lords taking his hand as well as holding the hand of the land that which we are praying for but there's a there's a third strand to this word that sometimes is missed the root of this greek term or this greek word is tixano which means to strike or hit the target right in the bullseye. Right in the bullseye. Right exactly in the middle point where it has to be. And I found this a fascinating addition to the whole picture of what we're doing in intercession. That we're somehow with God and with holding not only the hand of God but the hand of the people. We're approaching the king so that we can be involved in the intervention that hits right to the mark. Right to the mark. Not what I think. But what is right to the mark of what the kingdom and the king needs to do. Your kingdom come right to the bullseye. And God invites us into the privilege of being involved with this work with him in intercession to bring about the right intervention to the right place, right in the bullseye. Man, this is much more, much more than just offering up a few words in prayer. Intercession then is approaching the king to bring about an intervention that hits the bullseye. Your kingdom come. It's not only the beginning of earth touching heaven. We're reaching up for the hand of God. 
because we're praying for something. But it's the beginning of heaven touching earth, whereby God acts in response to our interceding, our standing in the gap, our approaching the king. Wait till you hear this quote from Walter Wink that is um, in the, the chapter on intercession. History belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being. Just stop there. Just ponder that. History belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being. Is it possible that the prayers of God's people could bring the future kingdom into being in the here and now? Absolutely. That's what we pray when we pray your kingdom come. As we approach the king, that we partner and co-create with him the solution, the intervention that will hit the mark, that will bring the future into being, that we would dare to believe the future into being. Wow. By means of our intercessions, we veritably, I didn't know if everyone would understand that word, so genuinely, truly, literally, don't even know if I would understand that word, cast fire upon the earth and trumpet the future into being. It's, like a, it's almost like a prophetic praying that as we believe and as we take hold of God and as we take hold of God with him, that the future becomes the present right at the right mark and is called into being as we pray and intercede. Wow. What a privilege to be invited into that. That we, in interceding, enter the place of co-creating with God. It's not just us saying, Lord, would you do this? And God does it. There's something about us doing that with him that God responds to. God is responding to our prayers so that together he is acting in a specific time and place. He does what is necessary now we share in the shaping of reality with God. Your kingdom come. Pete Gregg says, intercessors are those who stand before God in the gap on behalf of the land. That's what we do. Standing in the gap. What an incredible privilege God invites us into. He's delegated this to us that we would be intercessors, interceding to him and so that with him, approaching the king, the right thing at the right time, your kingdom come, his intervention, our intervention that hits the mark. Here's the sad thing. For the history of humanity, so few of God's people really take hold of this type of intercession and prayer. Here's just one verse from Ezekiel 22:30. God looking for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap 
on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. God surveying his people and finding no one who would stand in the gap for the people between them and God. So few take hold of this ministry of intercession. And it was years before this was fulfilled and God found such a person. It was found at least in Nehemiah. And that's the passage that I'm going to walk us through just briefly this morning. Uh, Nehemiah, starting in chapter 1, where he then steps into a place of intercession. The backdrop to this story is that the people of God have uh, been overcome. Uh, there's been a Babylonian invasion. Jerusalem is destroyed. God's people have become refugees in a strange land in Babylon. Years have passed, decades. And Nehemiah, who is part of those who have been refugees in this strange land in Babylon, has clearly been praying and is concerned about what has happened to his homeland, what's happened back in the land of Jerusalem, in Judah, what's happened to the remnant who've been there, what's happened there. And he becomes the intercessor, the one who intercedes for that land. He stands between God and the land. And so this is the opening chapter of the Nehemiah's story, and it starts in a place of prayer. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year while I was in the citadel of Susa. So it's located historically in this Babylonian exile period for the people of God. They're refugees away from their homeland. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah, coming back from the homeland with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. He inquired, he questioned, he wanted to know the detail. So now we move from the telescope of the, the scope of intercession. Wow! Approaching the king, standing in the gap, co-partnering with God to bring the right intervention in the right place at the right time. Now we come down to the microscope. And Nehemiah says, tell me what's happening at home. Tell me what's happening in the homeland. Tell me what's happened in the city. My heart breaks for it. So we move from the telescope to the microscope. The men said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. So the gates are down. The places of security are down. They're vulnerable. There are gaps in the wall. There's been fires in the wall that surrounds Jerusalem. So they are now more vulnerable than ever before. There's a wall that went all the way around Jerusalem and now it's been breached. Those who are inside are under threat and are in danger. And Nehemiah is, is looking, tell me about what's happening so that I know how to respond and how to pray. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So this microscope, tell me about what's happening then. 
breaks his heart and leads him into a prayer of deep intercession, mourning, sad, even fasting, and calling on the name of the Lord, where he holds the hand of the land in all its brokenness and then reaches out for the hand of heaven and enters the gap. And Nehemiah has been told by those who've come home about the concerns, the vulnerabilities, the gaps in the wall so that he can name them before God. A couple of uh, weeks ago, um, we had the first of our, our prayer times together through Lent. And that's what we did. We used this passage. And we began by saying, let's look around. Let's do the microscope bit across Perth and the city region. Let's ask the questions, where are the vulnerabilities? Where, where are the gaps? Where are the sins and, and the sorrows and the pain? Where are the social and spiritual and economic strongholds? Let, let's be honest. Let's name them and confess them before God. And so we had groups of people who, who went away and we, we gave them a little uh, flip chart paper and they began to, to write down all the things that they thought about. They were doing a Nehemiah kind of approach. Tell me, tell me about what's happening in the city. Tell me about what's happening in the land. And they began to name the social and the spiritual strongholds and sins and struggles, the gaps in the wall, the vulnerabilities for the people. What was the, where were the places that the enemy was attacking the city, trying to break and destroy that's, isn't that what the word of God, the enemy, comes to steal, kill, and destroy? But Jesus says, I've come that they might have life. And so we named these so that we could confess them, repent of them, break them, but we needed to know what they were. And in intercession, there's a part of what we do, which is, is the listening, the hearing, the seeing, and watching so that we know what the realities are. We can name them, confess them, pray them, repent of them. Break their power. Well, let's go on, Nehemiah 5. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. So what happens in intercession? So as he moves to prayer, he moves from microscope to telescope again. And he begins to focus on God again. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, turns back upwards. Telescopic prayer. It remembers who God is. The God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love. Reminds himself of who God is. Keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ears be attentive upwards. I know you hear his God. Let your ears be attentive to us and your eyes open so you can hear the prayer. 
And then he gets back down into the detail. I confess the sins of my people. We move from the subject of intercession, what is happening in the microscope level, to the object of intercession. God, only you. Only you. Only you. Your intervention. The God lens, the Jesus lens as we pray. Only you. And that's what we have in Nehemiah 1. It's what we have in Exodus 17 with the staff of God. It was an upwards. It it was in between the two, but upwards to God, knowing the realities of what was happening on the ground. Only you, God. And every time their hands were up, you don't have to do it this time. Every time their hands were up and they were held up and then in a heart came and they lifted his hands up. With God, Something was happening. Your kingdom come played out in the valley below as they persisted in prayer. Upwards, only you, God. You see it in the New Testament as well. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John have been arrested. They were taken and imprisoned. When they're released, they go back to the church. What do they do? They start to pray. And in that prayer, you would anticipate that what would the prayer is it would all be about the fact that they were arrested and they were under the threat of arrest again and they were told that they couldn't say anything. What did they do? They start to praise God. That was their starting point. And in their praising of God, they then brought to him the realities of what was happening round about. It's both telescope and microscope. And so in that prayer night, not only did we list all the things about that we thought were vulnerabilities and gaps and strongholds and sins of the city, we then said, well, let's write everything about God. Everything about God, because it's out of divine resources, out of divine resources that God will hear and answer. And so on one side, we we had all the things that were wrong, and on the other side, all the things that God would bring. And the, the stuff that God brings is always longer. It's always more of them than the stuff that we name and confess before God. Both and, holding the hand of the one who has the divine resources, but also the hand of the land and the realities of what we see. Telescope, microscope. And so as we prayed that night, we were recalling who God was and what he does in the face of the strongholds of the city. So Lord, where there's despair, you are hope. Where there's darkness, you are light. Where there's addiction, you are freedom. Where there's frailty, you are strength. Where there's weakness, you are power. Where there's hatred, you are love. Where there's trauma, you are healing. Where there's loneliness, you are presence. Where there is isolation, you bring acceptance and your family. Where there's disconnection, you bring belonging. Where there's anxiety, you are peace. Where there's shame, you are forgiveness. Where there's poverty, there is equity. Where there is injustice, you are just. And the intercessor knows both and holds the hand of both. And in doing so, works with God to bring the future reality into the here and now. In intercession, we name the truth realities of both the land but also the Lord recalling the truth of him 
God's resources are always greater than the challenges in front of us. And so we see and we pray in faith through this God lens, this telescope of who God is, even though we've also looked through the microscope of what is happening in front of us. Well, let's go on. So he, he, he begins to repent and pray. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. What I think is of interest about this with Nehemiah in these few verses is that he pours out his heart. He, he doesn't make judgment on everyone else. He puts himself in the mix as well. I don't know if we can go back to, to verse 6 again. That, that would be helpful. Uh, I'll read it to you. Just the end of verse 6. Nehemiah said, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly toward you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. So he doesn't pray like this. Lord, look at all these people out there and all the things that they've done and all the stuff that they're doing and all the rebellion and all their disobedience and all their sin. He says, I'm part of this. I confess also. Collective conf confession. N not taking on an attitude of blame or judgment, but saying, Lord, I'm part of this. Both by the things I've done and not done. Intercession recognizes that we have had a part to play and the same way saying that we will also have a part to pray to bring the future into the present of what God will do, his intervention. And Nehemiah is brokenhearted. It's an outpouring of intercession, an outpouring of his heart, a sorrow, a repentance, a confession that is personal and collective. I'm not going to blame everybody else. I'm not going to blame everybody around about me. I'm not going to blame all the, the, the sinners out there. I'm part of this. I confess, and I confess on behalf of my family as well. It's the confession of a pained heart, mirroring the heart of God. God's heart that breaks and moans over the chaos and the pain and the despair of his creation. An awareness that in intercession, I also must confess and repent for my part in the brokenness of this world of ours. That's such a powerful prayer. He doesn't just finger point at everyone else. But collectively, he also takes on this prayer. He takes it on himself. But this is the beginning of your kingdom come in the Nehemiah story. This broken heart and this God break my heart for what breaks yours. Lord, we're sorry. Forgive us. Forgive us for the chaos. This prayer would be the beginning of the turning around of the kingdom of God coming again among his people on earth as it is in heaven. This quote is attributed to Karl Barth. Um, he never wrote it anywhere, but it, it certainly seems to go back to him. He says, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. Wow. 
I hope you can hear that about the power of the prayer of the people of God. To clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. What was Nehemiah doing? He was disrupting the disorder of the world by getting on his knees and clasping his hands and praying, interceding with the people in confession and repentance, believing the future into the present and beginning the uprising against the disorder of the world. Now, when I start to talk about this, I can get quite militant. I can get quite aggressive. Deep within me is the Glasgow boy that wants to say, come on, the church. Rise up. Get into this place of prayer. Not just every so often, but let's cause an uprising against the disorder of our world on bended knee, believing the future into the present. The scope and the power of prayer. Let's move on to the next passage of Scripture. Nehemiah chapter 8. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me, and obey my commands, then even if you're exiled people out of the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who, del who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. This is the beginning of the story of the turnaround. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. And if you go on to read in chapter 2, that, that meant that he would, he, he would have to bring to the king his wine ensure that it was suitable for him to drink. Nobody had poisoned it. It wasn't so they could get the best wine, although I'm sure he did, but make sure nobody had poisoned it. And in the, off the back of this prayer, he ends up in a conversation with the king. Talks about him mourning and fasting for days as he prays. But when he enters the king, the king clearly sees that, that, that Nehemiah is downcast and, and sorrowful, that he's in that mode of intercession. And so he asks him, what's wrong? Nehemiah tells him about his homeland. And in that conversation, King Artaxerxes gives him not only permission to return to his homeland to begin the rebuilding of the walls and, and the city, but he also gives him protection and resources to do so. Your kingdom come brought about in the place of intercession that somehow then released the resources of heaven through a king who had taken them into exile was now blessing them for the rebuilding of their homeland all over again. 
Intercession is a, an obedient step of faith. Believing that God will intervene in the right way at the right time. As Nehemiah prays this, it's out of a heart of love for God and for his people. He's moved to pray and intercede. And intercession is an act of love. Interceding is an act of love for those we are praying for and for God. Our heart is so moved, so loves so much those that we are praying for in the situation that we're moved to intercede knowing that the God we love is more than able. But we, we have a number of life groups in our, in our church and it's great to hear stories and what is happening. And in one of our, our life groups for the last couple of months, I mean, it's, it's just been at times moving and painful and a struggle as they have prayed for one of the families in, in their group who are really going through the mill. And, you know, you pray and something improves for a little bit of time and then, and then it, it all goes wrong again. But what did that group do? They keep praying. They go back and they pray again. And not only that, they, they began to organize themselves to give support and help and strength. And they kept praying. And it was a little bit like the picture we had earlier on. As they prayed and they held their hands up, they could see that God was breaking in. And I know it's tiring to pray and sometimes we just can't hold up our arms anymore. And, and then it would feel like Nothing was happening again in the same circumstances. And so they would rally together again. And, and they'd meet on a Monday night and they would start to pray again. Or whatever night they were meeting. And they would put their hands up and then they would see. And month, week after week, month after month, they were praying like this for a family. Just incredible to watch. And the testimonies get stronger and stronger and stronger. So not just a day but a week would pass and God was just at work and, and all the circumstances were being overturned. Honestly, it's a privilege to be a pastor of people who are seeing the truth of this happening right in their lives as they intercede for one another. We intercede because we love. Intercession is an act of of love, an obedient, enact, an obedient enactment of the great commandment to love God and love people as we touch both earth and heaven on their behalf. Richard Foster writes this, if we truly love people, we will desire for them far more that is, than that is within our power to give them. And this will lead us to prayer. Intercession is a way of loving others. If we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than it is within our power to give them. And this will lead us to prayer. Because it's only God who can give. But we believe it for them. Your kingdom come. I'm going to invite the worship team to make their, their way up as I finish. Not everyone is in a life group. The life groups are going through the prayer course just now. But you can still access 
the material and the videos on the prayer course on this intercession stuff. You can pick up the book, you can read it there. But here's the depth of feeling that, that Pete Gregg writes with, the seriousness with which he takes the importance of prayer and intercession. He says this in the prayer course video, the hinge of human history is the bended knee. The hinge of human history is the bended knee. Let's be people who change history because we know how to pray with one hand to the land and one hand to the Lord in the in-between gap. In Jesus' name.